been there through thick and thin. My mom is just awesome. She's awesome. You might want to get her a card. Um, so uh, let's do this. Moms, if you're in the audience, would you do us a favor and stand for us so we can celebrate you, your dedication to your family. And I would like to pray over you as well. So stay standing. Thank you all very, very. Don't sit. Don't sit. You stand. It's 24-7. You got to stay standing, okay? So, um, so let me say this before you all sit because I would like to pray over you while you're standing. Um, I, I'm a huge believer in the home as the place where the truth of what we're going to talk about today, the gospel of Christ is passed on from one generation. It makes, your home makes a way bigger impact than I make. You know? so, so moms, thank you for your service. We probably have some grandmoms standing here that have you know, generations uh, where they're seeing the gospel of Christ passed down from one generation to the next. So thank you all very, very much for your service to our family. And, and uh, let me do this. Let's pray. Okay, so let's join together as a church and pray and ask God's blessing on our homes and thanksgiving for our moms. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for, um, for uh, the home where you have ordained it um, to pass on the truth of Christ from one generation to the next. And, and uh, God, sometimes that's murky and it's difficult to even figure out how to best do that, how to best serve our family. And so I'm, I just want to pray for the moms um, in this room right now. Uh, God, thank you for them. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray for your wisdom to cover them as they lead their families, invest in their homes, and, and um Invest in their children, invest in their, in their grandchildren, God. We thank you um, for the opportunity to live out the truth that we just affirmed through song. We live that out in a moment-by-moment, day-to-day basis around our families. And so bless these moms. I want to pray, um, Lord, for the blended families in this congregation, God, and, and I'll pray for an extra measure of wisdom as they navigate the uniqueness of that family you know, unit that they've called them to, and, and just give those moms blessings and favor and wisdom. And, and God, I want to lift up the single moms uh, that are standing here right now, God, that uh, they're probably wearing a lot of hats and navigating a lot of challenges. Um, and so I pray, Lord, that you would give them strength through your word um, and, str- and provision for their family. And then finally, God, I want to pray for the one in this room room that uh, maybe today's a little bit difficult. Maybe their mom's passed or, or maybe their mom um, maybe wasn't the ideal mom. And so there's some memories and challenges that they're praying through and thinking through. I pray for a measure of grace and wisdom uh, for them as, uh, uh, as they negotiate and navigate in their heart and mind what that looks like, uh, as they grant forgiveness. Um, and for those who are grieving the passing of a loved one, God, that you would be close to them here this morning. And so, God, we celebrate with our culture Mother's day. It's a great thing, God. The home is a great thing. Um, and I pray, Lord, that each of these moms would walk in the strength and the grace that you give them each day. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, cheer for these guys one more time. Thank you, moms. Thank you, men's ministry, for uh, you know providing some breakfast for them. And uh, we're going to jump in, okay? So we're, uh, we're going through the Gospel of John. And so this morning, we're going to park at a verse that I'm sure many of are familiar to many of you. John chapter 3, verse 16. Um, I'm skipping around a little bit, so my hope is a couple things. Number one, I hope that you're... Um, I hope that you're reading through the Gospel of John with me, uh, weekly spending some time there and reading it. Number two, uh, I'm supplementing some of the sermons.
sermons with sermons that I've preached in the past. So I'm skipping John 2, which is the early ministry of Christ. And, and I'm doing that just because I, I've only got so many weeks. I don't want to be in the Gospel of John for 10 years, okay? So uh, I'm trying to move us along at an pr- appropriate pace. Um, I preached <clears throat> several years ago <clears throat> the beginning part of John chapter 3. Uh, and so that sermon is actually posted on Facebook. We don't have the audio of it. It's called. It was called. The, the, it was out of a series we did called Nine Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and we and the sermon was on conversion. And so, you know, that's posted on our Facebook, and you can kind of see the beginning of John chapter three. But now we're going to jump into John three sixteen. Okay, <clears throat> so. It's a famous verse. I mean, sometimes whenever I see John 3.16, sometimes I, I see the guy at the football game or the baseball game that's got the rainbow wig on, right? And he's got the big sign up. This is John 3.16, you know. But it's a verse that if you're new to Christianity, you're new to church life, like, this is a verse that's really dear to those who have been followers of, of Christ for a long time. It's a verse that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that I would encourage you to commit it to memory. Like, it's that great of a verse. It's one that you should draw some strength off of on a regular basis or remind of the gospel of Christ. Uh, it needs to be committed into your heart and memory. And I, what we're going to do this morning is we're, gonna, we're actually going to look at it in its context. And it's, uh, it's why I've called this sermon One Great Verse. I probably could put a question mark behind that because I, I want you to see that it's, it's a great verse, but I want you to see it in the context of the whole of Jesus' teaching in this section. So we're going to start out and do something a little bit weird here this morning. All right, John 3, 16. Uh, I've got it here in, in the ESV, which is maybe a more standard version that some of y'all have memorized this together. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this aloud together, okay? You ready to join with me? Here we go. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The first thing I want you to see, church, is that God, and I want you to, we're going to take here for a moment and look at God's love for the world, okay? Because that verse is very clear that God has loved the world. And, and so the, in, the, in the verse it says, for God so love the world. So I want to park on the word so for one minute, all right? And, and the idea of so is the way that God has loved the world. That's, that's the idea, God so. So in other words, what I mean by that is a lot of times when people read that, they think about the extent or the broadness of God's love. God so loved the world. That's really not the focus. The focus is really taking us back to the previous couple verses saying, this is how God loved the world. Does that make sense? And so the so goes back to verses 14 and 15. And so the idea here, well, let's just look at this. John 3, verse 14, it says, as, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, if you notice something, the last two weeks we've been looking at the teaching of Jesus, and Jesus keeps telling these really weird stories, right? You know, like... As God, Moses lifted up the bronze snake. Like, what is that about? I don't even know what that's about. And yet Jesus, in the most famous verse probably in the New Testament, he's, he's taking us back to this story, right? And it's a story that a lot of us were like, I don't, I don't even know what he's talking about. And so one of the things I always encourage us as a church to do is make sure we're reading our Old Testament. And I often refer to the Old Testament as Jesus's Bible. Have you ever heard me say that? And so, and so the story takes us back to Numbers, okay, this great story in Numbers. 
numbers. Where the, and if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, Exodus 15 and 16, where the people of Israel were grumbling, right? And, and, and so they just left the Egypt. They were heading towards the promised land through the wilderness, and they're grumbling against Moses and against God because they were hungry and they were thirsty, right? So they continue their journey, and, and God does something. He provides for them on this journey across the wilderness with this food that shows up every morning. Does anybody remember what that food was called? It was called manna, right? And manna literally means, what is it, right? And so they get up one morning, like, wow, what is it? It's kind of like when I make dinner for the kids, right? I sit in front of them, like, what is it? And I was like, it's the best I could do. That's what it is. So, you know, this is what they called this food every morning, okay? And so they're journeying across the wilderness, heading to the promised land. And guess what happens to the people of Israel? They tire of manna, okay? Like, it just, it, there's only so much you can do with manna. There's only so much you can do with what is it, all right? So, so Numbers chapter 21, and this is the story that Jesus is referring to in John 3, 16. This is how so is defined, ready? So Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road around the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient on the long journey. All right. One of the things I've reminded you of a couple weeks ago is as you read through the Exodus as the children of Israel go from the Egypt, from slavery and the promise. I said, you know, there's some great stories in there to kind of mirror our process of sanctification or growing to be more like Christ, right? And maybe you're here this morning and as you're growing and you're pursuing Christ, maybe you're like, man, maybe the journey's getting a little wearying for you, right? Is that anybody? And you're wondering why, like, what's taking Jesus? Why doesn't Jesus just take me to heaven now? I believe in him. I'm ready to go. I was reading a passage this morning in 2 Peter where Peter addresses that very thing. Like, what's taking God so long? Why didn't he just take me out of life? Because it's not always easy. Did you ever have that thought? And Peter's response to his congregation is, well, he's taking a long time because he's being patient so the people can still have an opportunity to believe in the gospel, right? So your tough week, and the reason Jesus didn't bail you out of it this week is maybe, maybe there's someone here this morning that needs to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So the people grew impatient in the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out into Egypt to die here in the wilderness? And they complained, there's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible, what is it, all right? And so the Lord sent, check this out, this is crazy. The Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they were bitten and died. I hate snakes, okay? Can I just say that? Like, really? You know, that, so there's these horrible snakes. It says, then the people came to Moses, they cried out, they said, we've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So what's their prayer, by the way? Pray the Lord will do what? Take away the snakes. Check this out. So Moses prayed for the people, and then the Lord said to him, make a replica of the poisonous snake, attach it to the pole, lift it up. All who are bitten will live if they simply do what? Look at it. What didn't God do? He didn't take away the snakes, right? But what he did is he gave them a way to be saved and to be healed. So he says, so Moses made a snake of bronze attached to a pole. Anyone who was bitten by a snake could look. So now they're just getting bitten by snakes, okay? So now anyone who's getting bitten by snakes could just look at the bronze snake and be healed. And so in John 3, 16, Jesus says, so here's how I love the world. I love the world by being lifted up on a cross. And for those who lift their eyes to the cross and acknowledge the person and work of Jesus Christ. By the way, let me park on that a minute because I use that term a lot. 
When I talk about the person and work of Jesus Christ, I'm talking about that you believe that he's God's son. He's 100% God. He's 100% man in the deity of Christ. And that the person who he is, is that he lived the perfect life. He was righteous. That the things that he taught us come from God and that we are to pursue his teachings, to pursue the righteousness of God. And the work of Christ is that he died on the cross. He paid the penalty that your sin and my sin deserved and that he was buried and in three days he rose again and he's coming back one day just as he said. That's the person and work of Christ. Does that make sense? And so we, as followers of Christ, we look to the cross and we are healed. We are given life, both abundant life and eternal life. One of the things we have here on stage is, our, is a huge cross, and we keep that up there as a reminder. Whenever you look at the cross, by the way, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity to see a couple important truths. Number one, when you look at the cross, John 3, 16, you look at it and you understand God's love for you and God's love for me. But you also understand the character of God, the need for justice, and the need for punishment of sin. I always say the cross is where love and justice shake hands. Does that make sense? Let me ask you something. Was your sin simply forgiven, or was it paid for? See, now, your sins are forgiven you, but God didn't just wave his hands and forgive sin. It was, he paid a just penalty for your sin. And so when we look at the cross, we see the lifting up of God's Son, our Savior. And in that, Jesus, for God so loved the world. Does that make sense? And so that is what Jesus is telling us. He demonstrated his love for us by sacrificing his Son. Which leads me to a second thought out of this great verse. That's how God gave so generously. God generously gave his Son for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The word only has the idea of unique. I hope you're beginning to grasp here that we're talking about, we've been talking as we do this journey, how you're seeing over and over in the gospel of John, how, how Jesus is the special one, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of God sent to us by God because he loved us. And, and he, he, the, uh, John 3, 16 is reminding us that it is our God who has generously given to us. You ever have one of those weeks where you feel like God's holding out on you? Like, this, it's been a tough week, and God, like, is God really doing all he can for me? I always loved Romans chapter 8, verse 32, where Paul says this. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also do what, church? Give us what? Everything else. Isn't that fascinating? What's the argument that Paul's building on there. He's saying it's the greater to the lesser argument, right? He's already given us his greatest gift. He's given us his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to know why John 3.16 is so precious to the church, it's because we read it and we understand, man, he's given us his unique one and only son. God has given us his best gift. And because of that, we're engrossed and we, we worship our Lord and Savior. The third thing I want you to see here out of this great verse is that we have eternal life. It's, it's given to all those who believe. Eternal life is given to all those who believe. Now, biblical believing is, is, is not, um, it's not intellectual assent. Does that make sense? It's not just with your head walking around and go, I believe that. I believe that. When the word believe in, in, in the scripture is the idea that your heart is engrossed. Your heart is captured. 
It's, it's an understanding that Jesus and the person and work of Jesus is the most precious gift and the most important thing, that you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Your heart is captured and engrossed by Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done. And, and the problem and the danger is, if you're like me, as a, even as a follower of Christ, my heart can quickly get captured by things that don't matter. Some of you in this room, your heart is consumed with things that don't last and things that don't matter. And we get wrapped up and our hearts begin to go after and pursue things that won't last. And that's because we're created to worship. It's one of the reasons, church, by the way, that, that we say, you know, you got to be a regular part of corporate worship because you got to battle against the stuff that is reaching for your heart and reaching to engross your life. Does that make sense? We don't come to corporate worship just to check a box, you know, and make God happy with it. Oh, I came to church. God's now happy, right? Yesterday, I was watching something on the internet with my son, and we watched the tail end of um, of. Family feud. You know the the, the fine, when one family wins and then they take two members, they hide one in the back, and they get five questions, and they got to get the total of two hundred points to win the grand prize. And so they're going through the questions really quick. And one of the questions which I thought was really interesting. It said, um, "The place where most people check their watch. Guess what the number one answer is? Huh? No. Ha! It was the airport. So okay. No. <laughs> number two was the church, right? You know." Woo, I put in my hour, you know, I'm out of here. No, we come to corporate worship because our hearts naturally are going to worship something. And we have to remind ourselves through song and through the word that we need to be captured and raptured in our passion and love for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because we understand that John 3.16 has taught us that for those who believe, you have eternal life. And we've got to fight against that. We've got to be in small groups where we're surrounded by other followers of Christ who are kind of bumping us and elbowing us and saying, you know, make sure that you're not pursuing sin and pursuing the world and pursuing things that don't last, that you're a worshiper of Christ. It's why we've got to be in service so that we give back to others out of worship to Christ. Because we've got a lot of things battling against our hearts that are calling us to worship. Because those who believe in Christ, John 3.16 says, has eternal life. So to be sure, this is a, a great verse. But now let's take this verse and look at it in a little more of its context. Okay, so can we do that for a minute? Let's look at it in a little more of its context. This verse, John 3.16, is the dividing line for all of eternity. It's the dividing line for you and your soul for all of eternity. John 3, 17 says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Now, let's be clear here, okay? The first advent, or what we like to celebrate is Christmas, the first advent, first coming of Christ, okay, he came to save the world, he came to bring salvation. It's offered freely to everybody in this room, saved from the penalty of your sin, freely offered to everybody in this room because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. But let's be clear, okay? There is going to come a time where Jesus returns and he will judge at that point. Salvation's offered at the first advent. Judgment is coming at the second advent. First Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.1, Paul says, As I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Church, 
you have an opportunity. Maybe you're visiting here this morning. You have an opportunity to consider, rightly consider, the gospel message of Christ and not ignore the person and work of Christ and the truths that are being taught to you this morning about how you have eternal life. It's found in the person and work of Christ. The first time he comes for salvation, but the second time he is coming to judge. And Jesus Christ is the dividing line of that judgment for all eternity. It's not the Jesus that you want, you make up. It's not the Jesus that you believe, a false Jesus. It's the Jesus of the Bible. It's the Son of God. It's the unique one who paid the penalty for your sin, died and rose again. It is that Jesus. And for all who believe, they will have eternal life. But for those who do not believe, whose hearts are not captured by belief, raptured in the person of Jesus Christ, for those, they will be under the deserved wrath of God for ignoring the incredible gift of God's Son. That was the point of my illustration last week. Remember, I, I told the story about my daughter ice skating, and she had her first ice skating performance, and all the people around the rink really weren't paying attention. And I just wanted to yell at them, say, why aren't you watching this incredible performance, you know? And last week, after the service, I went out, and one of our church members kind of elbowed me and said, so um, did you watch all the other kids perform? <laughs> no, didn't matter to me, you know? But, <clears throat> but here's my, my point in that illustration. Is, this, is that Jesus Christ is the dividing line for all eternity. And I'm afraid that there's this amazing story, this amazing truth going on right in front of you. And we don't care. We're captured by all this other stuff that doesn't matter. You're not going to take any of it with you. And Jesus has given us this great story, and it's out there, and we see it, but we don't, we're just huddled up in our own little world. And I want you to be captured with the beauty of the gospel of Christ who he is, that he grabs your heart and the overflow of your heart is to worship him in all that you do. I did a series this past early spring, Tough Truths in the Bible. And we did a, one of the topics was on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember that, okay? We kind of unpacked what it wasn't and we talked about what it was. And one of the things I said there, I said, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a willful, determined hardness to the, uh, to the work of the Holy Spirit leading you to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Meaning, you hear that message and you don't care. And the Spirit begins to warm your heart, and you don't care, and you push it off, and you push it off, and you push it off, and you push it off. And one day you're going to stand before the God of the universe, and Jesus Christ is going to be the dividing line for all of eternity. And you're going to get to look God in the eyes and go, I didn't really give it that much thought, or I didn't care. Or worse yet, I understood it, and I ran from it. It's a... there's some in this room, you're in danger of a remarkable spiritual hardness. There's some in this room that it's almost like a determined denial. I'm, I'm not going to believe it no matter what. There's, there's some in this room, it's just a wide-eyed rejection of the story of God. There's some in this room, as I talk about God's hatred for sin and where our hearts naturally go, left to themselves as sinners. And you go, well, I'm not that worried about it. I don't care. It's the rejecting the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's rejecting John 3.16 as if it's not this glorious, special verse of Scripture. And you go, I don't care. I think it's why the author of Hebrews 10, and I mentioned this when I preached on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, verse 26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins 
There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused, he's kind of hearkening back to the Old Testament here, for anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses, they were put to death without uh, without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which has made us holy as if it were common and unholy. And have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings mercy to us. Church, let's be clear. John 3.16 and the truth of that text is the dividing line for all eternity. Your eternal future has everything to do with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And do you believe it? Because what happens here next is, and you're going to see this throughout the Gospel of John, as Jesus reveals more and more during his public ministry of who he is, what happens is the heart of man is revealed, or the ministry of Jesus reveals the heart of man. And it's really a horrifying place. Check out John 3.19. And the judgment, talking about this judgment, that Christ's second coming, this, the judgment is based on the fact that God's light came into the world. But guess what? Guess what? People loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. See, some of you are sitting here this morning, and you know, man, if I, if I, if I repent or I turn on my ways and I trust Christ, man, there's, there's some stuff in there that's going to be sought out. And there's a fear of the exposure of sin. Let me, let me be clear what the Bible's teaching here. Unbelievers hate the light of God. I want to say that again. Unbelievers hate the light of God. They're not neutral to God. And by the way, maybe you're sitting here and you're a long-time believer and you've forgotten what you were like before God warmed your heart, turned your heart, and you were a follower of Him. Remember that? I do. I remember, I'm going to date myself here, you know, but I remember singing along with the Billy Joel song said, I don't care what you say anymore because it's what? My life. Am I the only one saying that? Anybody else? And I, listen, I remember singing that and in my heart thinking about God. Pretty, pretty fearful, right? Like I don't, it's my life. I'm going to do what I want. And by the way, I talked about this back in the fall when we did some worship music. I said, we all sing songs about something. And we're worshiping something. I mean, so music's always got kind of a worship. You're worshiping sex or you're worshiping drugs. You're worshiping celebration, party, inebriation, whatever. Or, you know, that's, why we choose, that's why we start our services with singing because we want our hearts and our song to be lifted to the gospel of Christ, right? And the Bible's very clear. The, the human heart left to itself doesn't want the light of God in fact, hates the light of God. And by the way, I'm going to take a little rabbit trail here for a minute, okay? I get really nervous. I get really nervous when I hear people instruct other people to trust your heart. You ever heard that? Hey, just, just trust your heart. You know, follow your heart. Because I, I think we have to be really careful with that because the Bible is really clear about how manipulative our own heart can be, especially a heart that's not naturally engaged with the light or the truth of God. It's why when you start 
following your heart. You better run it through the grid of scripture. I would even encourage you to run it through the grid of Christian community and other people who speak into what's in your heart so you know that what you're doing is watch. Check this out in Jeremiah chapter 17. This is powerful verse about what's really going on inside of you. The human heart is the most honest, truthful thing you can trust the most with your life, right? Check this out. The human heart is the most what? You you can fool yourself, quite frankly. I've I've counseled people where, you know, why'd you marry that person? Well, I was following my heart. Why'd you take on that business debt? I was following my heart. You can follow your heart straight to hell, okay, if you're not careful. The human heart's the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? It's not a rhetorical question. Who does know how bad it is? I, the Lord, search the hearts and examine the secret motives. That's why we got to take what our heart is telling us, make sure we're running through the grid of the scriptures, right? Make sure it's true. You can follow a regenerate heart that's in line with the truth of God's word, right? I say, I would encourage you to run things through your community. Make sure you're, this is why I always say, you gotta have a Christian community around you. You have to have some brothers and sisters in Christ that when you're running after something hard, you gotta make sure it's not a blind spot for you. You're not being deceived because, man, our hearts really can deceive us according to Jeremiah chapter 17. And so when the light of Christ comes in, it exposes the heart and man's natural hatred for the things of God. Believers, however, hate their sin and pursue righteousness. All right? A believer hates their sin and pursues righteousness. Notice what I didn't say here. I didn't say a believer never sins. Okay? The difference is when a believer sins, there's a, there's a brokenness, there's a looking at the cross and understanding that the, the high cost of my righteousness and the payment for my sin, and I'm, there's a brokenness to that, and there's a repentance and belief in the gospel of Christ. John chapter 3, verse 21 says, but those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what they're doing, uh, can, so others... Uh, can see that they are doing what God wants. Now, don't misconstrue this verse. It's easy to pull it out of context. It's like God's teaching us to be good, to do. No, it's in the context of a renewed heart. It's in the context of a believer who is believing the gospel. It's in the context that my de- I'm now dead to my sins. I'm alive to God. It's in the context of, man, when I, when I do sin, I'm repentant. I'm reminded of the gospel of Christ. By the way, it's one of the reasons, it is the gospel message of Jesus Christ that we walk through from beginning to end in pursuing Christ. From, from new birth, justification, we're, we're born again, we're made new, we're justified from the gospel of Christ by repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. Then in the process of growing to be more like Christ, what we call the doctrine of sanctification, guess how we continue to grow? to be more like Christ. 
repenting and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why in Galatians, Paul does backflips. He's so upset at the church of Galatia. He says, you know, who has mixed you up? Who's bewitched you? He goes, you started by the gospel. Now you're trying to earn God's favor. It doesn't work like that. It's the gospel message of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. It is the gospel message of Jesus Christ that will one day have a stand glorified for all eternity. It's the gospel of Christ from justification all the way to glorification from beginning to end. And our hearts cling to Christ. We never stop needing him from beginning to end. And so in that context, this is one great verse. In that context, this is one great verse. I want to finish with the story. I'm going to close with prayer this morning. I remember several years ago, I, I pulled up to my house, and uh, I noticed as I pulled into my road, the... Um, the uh, garbage, the recycle garbage truck was at the end of the road and had already made its rounds all the way through my neighborhood. So I could see that all my neighbors' recycle bins were out and had been emptied. And as I pulled in my driveway, I noticed mine had not been taken out, which was probably a failure on my part, right? And so I see that my recycle bin is just overflowing. And I think, man, if I don't get that thing to that recycle truck, you know, we're just going to have trash everywhere next week. So I get out of my car, I hop out, I close my door. And it was like it all went into slow motion, you know, like some superhero scene, right? And it's in slow motion. And, and so I grab the recycle bin and I start running towards the truck. And as I'm running, I hear the music from Chariots of Fire. You know, it's like, I'm out there and I go past one driveway. I get down past the next neighbor's house. I'm running with my trash, you know, and I, I think this is true. I, I feel like this is a true part of the story. So I look, and, and, and the truck driver catches me in his side view mirror, and, and with this evil, cynical, heartless grin, he takes his foot off the brake and puts it on the gas, and there I come running behind him as he takes off, you know. And, uh, and so I get out there. I'm in the middle of my street with my trash, and I start looking around going, I hope none of my neighbors are watching this mess, you know. Like, what am I doing? I thought about that story and think about it in the pursuits of the things that aren't of God. And think about it in the pursuits of our idols. You know, the thing that we set up in our heart and our mind that's really going to bring us happiness. And think of it in pursuits of sin. For those of us who are still, our hearts are writ and gripped by sin and we're just pursuing sinful things. And, and what happens is if we pursue our idols and persistence. It's like it's your garbage and you're running after the garbage truck and you're never going to catch it. It's always going to stay out of reach. And some of you are here this morning, there's a couple of you here this morning that as I'm talking this story about this great verse that God so loved, you know, and, and, and your heart's beginning to warm to that possibility. Possibly, like, I can journey with God. I can have a free start. I can live, have eternal life and abundant life through the Savior. Jesus, like, you're beginning to warm to that. But, but what's happening is the enemy is starting to speak in your heart. Yeah, but it, I see the pail of garbage you're carrying around, right? I mean, that, that story that Pastor Sean's talking about, that everybody can have life in Christ by believing in him, like that, there's something whispering in your heart right now that says, that's for other people. Not for you, because in your garbage pail, there's abortion. And that really didn't get paid for on the cross. What you're saying, if that's going through your head right now, that means that the wrath of God was not sufficiently poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. And as you're running with your garbage pail, there's something whispering in your head. Pastor Sean doesn't know your pornography addiction. Like, the gospel doesn't apply to 
the pornographers. It's a lie. And as you're, as you're thinking about pursuing Christ with all your other, there's something whispering at you, but you had an affair. Like the, the gospel doesn't apply to those who had an affair, right? And that's a lie. And there's somebody here this morning as I'm talking about how you can be free to pursue Christ. And, 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 and something whispering in your heart, yeah, but the pastor doesn't know you were high or you were drunk or whatever this week. And so that doesn't apply to you. That's a lie. There's somebody here this morning, part of your story is like, I was molested. And as you're thinking about pursuing Christ, you're like, I'm never mount to anything because of that. And it whispers through your head and the gospel can't really set me free. And I'm telling you, that's a lie. The wrath of God is pure, completely satisfied and poured out on the cross for those who believe in him. And eternal life is granted for those who bow a knee and are captivated in their hearts with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to run through life any longer with your garbage. But it's been paid for by the person and work of Jesus Christ. I'm beginning to wonder if I've showered enough today. <laughs> the payment for sin and the wrath of God poured out on His Son, Jesus Christ, was sufficient to cover every one of your sins. was sufficient to cover every one of your sins. And for those who say, you know what? I'm going to take the garbage. I'm going to throw it at the foot of the cross. And I'm going to wholly pursue Jesus Christ. There's freedom. John writes this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I read that, and I think about the purpose of the writing of this gospel, which John spelled out for us in John chapter 20, where he also said, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Church, let me encourage you, cling to the gospel of Christ. There is power for this life and the promise of eternal life. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a believer in Christ, and there's a warming in your heart to spiritual things, believe in the person of Jesus Christ. There's power for this life and the promise of eternal life. For all who place their trust in Jesus Christ. It's the simplicity and the incredible power of the gospel of Christ. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to I pray for the one in this room right now where there's a, a genuine spiritual battle going on in their heart. I want to pray for the one right now that the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Word, is, is working their heart over and they're, they're, they're being awakened to the truth of who Jesus is and they're wondering, God, is it really worth it to...
pursue Christ wholeheartedly. By the power of your spirit, I pray that you would draw them in and they would repent and believe. They would do business with you this morning because, God, you loved us so much that you lifted up your own son on the cross to bear the weight of our sin. And there is both abundant and eternal life for those who believe in Christ. Thank you for the grace and the mercy so freely offered. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, thank you for being here. I just want you to know that we're not after your money. Uh, this is one of the ways we worship the Lord at Coastal. Uh, you're certainly welcome to join us in that if you would like to. Uh, as a guest, on the side of your bulletin is a tear-off. We call it a Connect card. Uh, if you would just fill that out and drop that in your offering plate, we want to send you a thank you card for coming. If you're here this morning and um, your heart is being awakened to spiritual things and you would like to talk to someone uh, or pray with someone about what God is doing in your heart, there's really two ways you can do that. Number one, on the side of that tear-off, you can just fill that out, drop that in your offering plate, and let me know, hey, Pastor, I'd like to talk someone to call me this week. I, really talk to someone about some spiritual matters. Or uh, we always have our prayer team available up here in the front. Uh, they wear purple shirts, and they're here throughout the offering, and they even stay a little bit after the service, and they are available to you uh, to talk about spiritual things as well. So I would encourage you uh, to make use of them. Joey. Wait.